Welcome everyone. I'm Jeffrey Goodman, Director of Marketing and Development for the YMCA of Northwest Louisiana. And we're here at 318 Latino Studios for Shreveport Bossier, my city, my community, my home. And I can't wait to have today's discussion. Our guest is Dr. Toya Graham. So Toya, thanks so much for being here. Really appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. Glad the schedule finally worked where we could connect and talk. I know. We've been working on this for, for a while now. We have. We have. <laughs> well, we'll hop in. Um, well, thank you. Thank you again. Um, and if I get anything wrong, please, please let me know. But um, since 2014, I believe, you've served as the executive director of the Carolyn W. and Charles T. Beard Family Foundation, one of the largest and most impactful family foundations that our community has. Just in 2022 alone, the foundation awarded over $1.5 million to nonprofit organizations. The foundation has two grant cycles, a fall cycle and a spring cycle. So let's start here today, if we could uh, talk to me about some of the kinds of projects the foundation is looking to fund. It's looking to fund. Well, the foundation has a storied history here in Northwest Louisiana. Having um, started in 1960, I mean, little known history fact, we've been around for six decades, but in um, more recent years, the last couple of decades, family members have been in the fold of the foundation and have been um, very involved with grant making. Um, and so to really answer that question about um, projects, organizations, programs that the foundation is interested in funding or partnering with, um, I really have to go back to that history of even 1960. Although we've evolved over time, of course, we're now four generations into family members being involved with the foundation. Um, the tenets and the philosophy, the mission, the vision that started this work um, continues to hold true today. If you had an opportunity to visit our website, you saw that um, a part of our mission and vision statement states that our foundation is interested in supporting projects that are small, local, innovative, and the part I think that excites me every day is um, sometimes unpopular projects. And so what that means is we have been able to, um, at least during my tenure, so that will be the history that I'll really focus on, is support the full spectrum of nonprofit organizations in our area. Um, those that, that are small, that are grassroots, that the founders and executive directors had an idea about something, a passion about a particular aspect of our community that needed um, response efforts, and they came to the foundation. Um, we've been a part of that history of seed funding for many nonprofits um, and nonprofits that have been around for years, decades even, when they are interested in seed funding for projects that are um, might not have that evidence base just yet, but they've done their research, they know the local needs, they've spoken to community members on what those needs are and what the solutions are, they've come to us for seed funding as well. Um, and what we've been able to do with that is learn along the way. So by supporting those small, local, innovative, sometimes unpopular pro projects, we've been able to share with other nonprofit partners when they come to us seeking funding or partnership, 
here's what we've seen with an organization in the past. You might want to check in with that executive director. So really serving as a bridge. So um, that's been that's really been a part of our history, that particular aspect of our mission. And it's amazing. I pulled up, um, I don't know what you call it exactly, maybe the grant report from 2021 or 2022 mm-hmm. and the amount of projects that you support. I, I, I'm, I can see it in my head, mm-hmm. kind of the report. I would say, you know, you're supporting upwards of 50, maybe 100 different uh, organizations on an mm-hmm. annual basis, something mm-hmm. like that. Is that mm-hmm. accurate? That's accurate. Um, locally around that number. And the interesting fact of that, I, w- I wish we could really illustrate this on a foundation site, is so many of those organizations serve as bridges to other nonprofits and um, collaborators with schools and other governmental entities. So the impact of those 40 to 50 um, nonprofits that have been supported in those given years is tremendous. It's it's beyond even the dollar number that you see, the number of individuals who are impacted by that. I, I, I mean, I imagine we, we try to pull that one day, it would be so many citizens here would be impacted in a positive way. Yeah. I mean, like I said at the beginning, I know you, you guys truly are one of the most important and impactful foundations that we have. So Thank we're you. so fortunate and grateful for the work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. So um, one of the reasons we started this podcast is to help our community cultivate a healthier self-image by highlighting the important work taking place amongst us that people may not know about, like mm-hmm. the work you're doing at the Carolyn W. and Charles T. Beard Family Foundation. On this podcast, we've also spoken a lot about how to become a stronger community. Mm-hmm. In your opinion, how do we do a better job of moving from a me to a we community? Jeffrey, were you in my home this morning when I spoke to my kids about <laughs> I, me, we? Um, taking that to community, I, oh, it's multifaceted. Um, I think the first aspect of moving from me to we is more dialogue. Um, and having opportunities where the dialogue is two-way, so it's not um, a particular person in power or authority or perceived authority um, speaking to a group, but more so with a group. Um, That demystifies so many of our challenges in our community when we dialogue and have conversation. And from my experience as executive director of the Beard Family Foundation, having the opportunity to speak to so many different nonprofit um, leaders, passion workers, um, hitting the pavement, I've had the ability to listen, um, actively listen, you know, take a seat back and um, really listen to what they're sharing with regard to concerns and solutions but also two-way, share um, how the Beard Family Foundation is interested in being a partner in that solution-driven work, um, how we are interested in learning. Um, And so as a community, I think moving from me to more of a we is cultivating this ecosystem of listening, learning, dialogue, And I think with that, we, again, demystify what we might think 
of a particular group or, you know, someone not in our zip code or a challenge that's in a zip code that happens to not be our zip code. Um, I think it starts with having those opportunities to, to listen and speak and have two-way communication. Completely agree. And I don't want to put you on the spot, but I, I didn't even think of, to ask this, but just listening to what you said, um, do does the Beard Family Foundation, aside from just granting mm-hmm. an organization money, do they, you know, what, what does that partnership look like or what does that proactive role look like that you play in addition to the grant dollars provided? Well, we have um, had some special projects that allow nonprofit or at least set the stage for nonprofit partners in the community that traditionally have not partnered together or just had conversations about operating um, and capacity building and um, just mentorship and support, we have set the stage a number of times in um, starting that initial conversation, bringing them together. Um, so many times, so my background is in education, mainly nonprofit um, organizations with educational institutions. And I liken a lot of my experience in the education arena to the nonprofit sector and philanthropic entities in that sometimes we can be so focused on our one siloed approach or issue or tackling whatever might be happening within our, within our entity that, um, we have limited time to, to take a, a, a seat back and um, really think more deeply about other opportunities to tackle some of the issues we're dealing with. And we have found through some of our conversations and really bridging nonprofit partners um, that they have, some of the outcomes have been, you know, you go to the financial side, some of it is financial that one can take on an activity that another is doing and partner together. Um, but then also just the capacity piece in general, um, having executive directors that have been in the field um, uh, a less number of years than another executive director who's seasoned, um, having them to just have conversations or even coffee the the monumental effect of that <laughs> has been um it's it's been astounding so we have been able to do that um really bringing individuals to the table that um otherwise might have not had the opportunity and then really stepping out of that process that they are the experts in their field that our role as a partner um as a philanthropic partner is to bridge and offer that communication maybe connection for them but then allowing them um, to really define how that looks based on their needs and what they can offer to one another. I love that. I didn't even know you guys were playing that role, but that makes perfect sense and is so critical and, and helpful and needed. Yes. And, and, and Jeffrey, we have in the past hosted orientations um, prior to COVID and, of course, the last few years. Um, after COVID, we've done more on-demand um, one-on-one technical assistance orientations during our grant cycles. Um, but when we were hosting those in-person orientations, 
every single time. So twice a year, there would be a nonprofit um, partner who would say, oh, I didn't know Jeffrey across the table was offering that service. Oh, and you're just you're just a mile down the road. You know, here's my card. Let's meet up. And so that really um, we took a more formal approach to offering more of those connections, even outside of orientation. Once we realized they weren't happening because we learned that during orientation. Yeah, it's it's so important to have someone who knows the lay of the land better than you do and is willing to collaborate or share that information and, and connect entities. It's such a I agree. I mean, it's such a critical piece of um, the work that we're all trying to do. So thank you. Um, Another recurring theme on this podcast is our identity as a community, Uh, who we have been, who we are, and what we're trying to become. For, For friends of yours who maybe have never been to Shreveport Bossier before, I'm just curious, how do you describe this community and this place that we all call home? What a question. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, um, how do I define Shreveport? So the the, the first thing I I would say is, um, you know, so many times when when we travel and you say you mentioned Shreveport, Louisiana, someone will then say, Oh, New Orleans, you know, Mardi Gras and beignets. <laughs> no, we're up the road from, from New Orleans. Um, but we have some, some of that culture, of course, because we're in Louisiana, but we're nestled closer to Texas than, um, or Dallas, if you will, than, than New Orleans. Um, but our identity, I would say we are a resilient community. Um, Looking at the history of our area, um, definitely, you know, located in the Deep South, there are, our history is um, rooted in um, lots of trials, tribulations, um, lots of challenge. When I look, consider our present and the identity that we have now, we are bridging so many gaps that in prior years, I mean, I've lived in Shreveport most of my life, um, moving away for, for college, um, and I made the choice to come back to, to Shreveport um, because I think we have just the right number of people who care, <laughs> if, that, if, if that connects. Um, we have tremendous challenges when you consider the statistics around crime, education, illiteracy. There are a number of areas, of course, that we as a as a foundation are are responding to. It is the work um, that we are focused on. Um, but when I think about the inspiration that I'm able to feel on a weekly basis from community members who reach out with ideas or activities that are taking place that are like little known granular nuggets of change. Um, I just think our identity is just rooted in resiliency. There's no erasing the past, but there is so much opportunity before us. And 
the community is doing the work, um, whether it makes it to, you know, um, a lot of our media. <laughs> um, and media is doing really good here lately, the last few years of um, sharing bright spots. But there's a lot of work that is taking place behind the scenes outside of the sector that one might be working in that might not even be familiar with it is happening to, to really forge positive change. Love that. And so now we're going to kind of dive into even more specifics, pretty much around what you just said. So my first question is, as you look around our community, what are some of the specific things that concern you the most? I'll start with um, probably one of the universal concerns <laughs> for um, so many um, individuals in our city, and that would be crime. Um, but the, the, the way I look at um, our challenges in, in crime is kind of take a walk with me for just a minute, Jeffrey. Sure. I kind of take an approach of really peeling back the layers of, because you say crime, you know, it's macro level and we could be talking youth, we could be talking a particular zip code or area of the city. Um, but when you peel back the layers of how we have arrived at this outcome of crime, you then, my answer then goes to illiteracy and some um, concerns educationally with what we're able to offer and the opportunities that our youth have. Um, you go to economic disparities, um, um, the access that some community members have to um, financial resources, you go to poverty, you know, all of these elements if you will, make up this one side of the equation that then gives us the the outcomes that we have in crime. Um, and so, again, I keep coming back to the foundation and how we, through our grant cycles and even beyond grant cycles, being a part of conversations about concerning areas of, of Shreveport or topics of Shreveport, um, there are individuals who are doing the work of not only responding to um, illiteracy, for instance, when we think of literacy volunteers at Centenary, um, or the many out-of-school time programs that folk have reading components after school and um, offer summer programs for you so that the summer drain, you know, is not a summer brain drain. It's not happening um, with them. When you think of those entities, um, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that um, we as a community will continue <laughs> to um, address those different elements that then lead to the outcomes that we see in crime. Just going back to something you said earlier, this wasn't one of my plain questions, but I'm just curious. Uh, I love what you said, that we have the right number of people in this community who care. 
what what creates those people do you think what what how do you produce people in a community who care about a community I'll, I'll give you my easiest response first and then maybe I'll go sure. a bit deeper with it the I mean youth um around the table with my children um and nieces and nephews um on weekends we are discussing the city <laughs> um and you'd be amazed, not you, but, you know, just in general of what a five-year-old, you know, understands about kindness and compassion and um, and what awareness they have when they see someone who may be unhoused with a sign, you know, I, that, that they care and that they want to find a solution and they want to talk about it. And I can recall... Um, you know, many, many years ago as a child, asking my family members, you know, tough questions. And some family members of a certain generation did not discuss, you just did not discuss, you know, that because it didn't affect you. Um, but seeing youth who are interested in our community and want to know more about they know about all the good, you know, when you think about, um, especially young children, um, because they have boundless imaginations and energy and just excitement. Um, but when, when, when they are interested in, um, really having a conversation around a challenging topic and they want to share ideas on what they can do or how they can volunteer or, um, what they should be saying to a classmate who might be experiencing something that's troubling. Um, that definitely, that, that, that gives me hope. Um, and then on a deeper level with that question. Let me interrupt one second. Are you, are they, you're obviously serving as a role model Mm -hmm. and a a positive influence to, uh, spur on those conversations Mm -hmm. or to encourage those conversations, but, um, are they also, uh, you know, do you feel like without you, do you, do you feel like you're you're creating you're fostering that atmosphere or that can be there there are kids out there who who care without that kind of encouragement at home or without that person who's kind of providing a structure or, or orchestrating those kind of conversations does that question make sense it does it does i think that um the part about kids at home like whether you know that's a, if it's not being cultivated in their home and kind of how they get it. I think I, I've seen in entities that um, I'll just speak of, for instance, my daughter and um, her attendance at the Goldman School, the Art Goldman School, and the 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 focus there and the inclusive nature of the programming at the Arc. Um, there were conversations with the children about some of those aspects that I also share at home with, with my children. Um, and so she would come home (laughs) and ask particular questions. Um, so I think some, or at least just anecdotally, some entities kind of lead that charge with the culture that they evoke. Um, and then having youth be a part of that, then I think spreads. 
Um, but for children and youth who might not have those types of conversations at home, I think maybe they, some of that is learned through school or other groups that they're a part of. That makes sense. And I mean, you hit on this a little bit, but I just wanted to kind of flip that last question and, you know, get you to speak about other things that as you look out and look around that make you optimistic that we're making progress and we're, we're moving in a, in, a, in a good direction as a community. What are, what are those things that, you know, at, at the end of the day you go, I'm glad to be here. I feel like all this energy and all this work that I'm doing is, is, is worth it. And, and I'm starting to see small positive outcomes or, 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 or small benefits to all this outpouring of energy and effort. I would say, um, I think in the education spectrum, um, how our schools have become more and more focused on, um, or at least sharing publicly, I'm sure there are lots of activities happening internally, but sharing publicly their focus on the social emotional side of um, youth and the mental health focus, um, the ACEs focus within the school system, adverse childhood experiences, um, study and trainings that are happening um, locally. And so I'm very proud of that. I, I, I share that information with uh, members of the Beard Family Foundation who happen to not reside, some who happen to not reside in the area, along with my family members who do not um, who are unable. I have a younger brother who would love to live in Shreveport, but his industry is is not here. Um, very excited to always share um, the positive aspects and forward thinking that our local school system um, is implementing. I also there there have been some comments recently about you know the entertainment. Um, offerings in our area and the limitations of those. Um, and I tend to look at it on the bright side of how we sustain so many of our festivals and the strength of the arts community, um, how it has been through COVID and now um, traveling downtown today, just looking even at the public art after sitting in an office um, for part of the day is is um, is definitely a bright spot for our area. So that makes me proud when we have visitors in town um, and they see it. That makes them proud, I think, even. Um, they have questions about, you know, those artists and so on. Um, I'm also um, very excited to see some of the economic growth that we're seeing with industry coming. Um, um, the, the port has continued to be a strong force in our area. And now having the former GM plant um, occupied here soon in Amazon. So um, that gives me hope that um, for our area, and especially in response to the data related to poverty, that um, many of those work opportunities are going to be of the higher wage end and offer um, benefits that families locally definitely need that we know then compound to other positive outcomes for our area. So, um, so all of that makes me very happy about Shreveport. Yeah, no, those are all, and I think you are a glass half full kind of person, which is wonderful. And 
um, much needed. So I, I appreciate that. Um, those are my main questions. We have all the time in the world. Are there other things that keep you up at night or that you that are really important to you that we didn't touch on or that you would like to share? I know you're involved in so many aspects of the community with your work at Beard Family Foundation and outside of that. So anything else that you'd like to talk about or share, I'd be more than happy to do that. Well, um, there's lots, Jeffrey. Um, <laughs> but I'll I'll share just a few areas that personally I have um, really taken an initiative to um, dig deep into reading a lot about visiting with um, individuals who have expertise or interest in these areas, um, and that being um, the first is the. Um, the fact that Louisiana is at the top of the list in the United States for um, black mothers and babies dying. Um, that a black baby born in Louisiana is twice as likely to die than um, a white baby. Um, and just understanding some of the preventative measures um, that are being taken and how we share more of that information locally um, has been an area that I've, I've definitely um, taken a focus on um, personally. Um, the illiteracy piece. And let me just, on the infant mortality piece, what are, talk to me about some of the reasons that that is the case, that uh, an African-American baby is twice as likely to um, experience infant mortality than a baby of a, another race mm -hmm. what what are what are the contributing factors to mm -hmm. that um, a number of, of reasons um, one is access to quality health care um, some of so some of the research that I've pulled again not an expert in this area but some of what I've read um, is that many of the the mothers who have been affected, were either uninsured um, or, well, I'll say uninsured. I'll start with that. Um, there's also the healthcare bias that for some with um, some mothers with um, health concerns, you know, having issues and then going to their doctor and um, there being a bias and really. Um, believing the mother, you know, based on you know, the pain that she might be having or the issue that she's experiencing um, and not following through with treatment properly. Um, so there's a number of reasons. The, the state does have a review board that has produced um, reports on this. I think the most recent one might be from 2021 around that time. Um, so the, the data that I'm referencing is a couple of okay. years um, oh, but the trend def I'm pretty sure will continue. Um, so it's just an area that I'm, I'm, I'm very concerned about. Sure, sure. And then you were saying illiteracy. I, I jumped in and um, was the next one you were talking about. Yes, illiteracy. Um, and I had the fortune of meeting with, um someone, uh, the president of the Center for Language and Literacy, based in Metairie, but have a statewide reach and focus, and 
she she shared some numbers that I mean just would astonish you that in our state, twenty five percent of fourth graders are at basic level literacy reading levels. I mean, seventy five percent aren't there. <laughs> um, and when we look at our local data um, in North Louisiana, so many of our third graders, when they're completing their standardized tests each year. Um, they're not at that basic level of English and language arts. And we know from research that if they are not prepared in that way and proficient in ELA by the end of third grade, they then struggle in fourth grade and on because you need that proficiency to learn all the other subjects. Um, and the, the data goes on that they are more at risk to drop out. They are more at risk to be idle during their teenage years versus um, active in school or employed or going on to trade or um, or some higher learning. Um, and so in the, the life path of individuals with low literacy, is it's not positive. Um, and so that is another area that I have been really intimately taking a very deep dive into and just understanding more about the response efforts locally on how um, schools um, and especially nonprofits, that's the sphere operating in, um, are responding to that. And if there are ways that they can blend literacy into other types of programming, whether it be mentoring programs or programs, programs for parents or supporting parents, how we support more early literacy um, and adult literacy too. So even for for parents who, who need that additional support um, and know that they can do can do that, you know, and have the support in order to um, develop their skills further. Well, I know we have so many challenges, and uh, I know you guys are uh, critical and and rising to help us uh, a be more aware of those challenges and then to uh, start to put solutions together and proactively um, try and uh, do better as we move forward. Is there anything else that you'd like to mention or share? I appreciate uh, so much all that you're doing and, uh, uh, and, and having you and, and the Beard Family Foundation in this community. Thank you for this opportunity to share about our work and to share a bit personally about some of the areas that I'm also concerned about. Of Thanks. course. Always great to see you, Toyo. Great seeing you. Thank you. Thank Appreciate you. you.